Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. Donald Trump takes the stage amidst the roars of his supporters at one of his now infamous rallies. And he begins in rather quickly. This is the most important election in the history of our nation. If Joe Biden is elected to president, he will destroy the economy as we fall into a socialist hellhole. Or Joe Biden doing the same thing, talking about Donald Trump. With Donald Trump, if he is elected president, hundreds of thousands more will die of coronavirus. Fear. Having worked the stock market for years, when a trader weighs out the emotions at play while trading, fear and greed are the two primary drivers, but fear dominates over greed. Markets might melt up weeks, months, even years in a strong bull market and greed seeps into the equation. But when the plug is pulled, markets retreat violently. Fear is a much stronger emotion than greed in the stock market. We are more fearful of losing what we have than greedy and gluttonous for wanting more. I want to talk about fear as there is a whole lot of fear in society today. But in fact, not all fears are equal. There is a what's known as a real fear, a healthy fear. So if I'm walking downtown Tampa at night and a guy pulls a gun on me, puts a nine millimeter in my face, uh, that surge of emotion called fear is a very necessary emotion to try and survive the situation. Not that my city would ever have such an occurrence, but hey, if it did, or let's just say I'm out for a walk. I see an alligator. Yeah, it can and it does happen down here in Florida. Just the other day, we saw a little baby alligator by our post office box. So uh, that surge of fear is needed. So I'm not talking about that type of fear when the body reacts to very specific, real situations that you're confronted with, with your five senses as that emotion can trigger adrenaline and it's needed to save your life or remove you from danger. Yet this is not the type of fear that I'm speaking of today. The the type of fear that is the most powerful of all fears itself is the fear of the unknown. Actually, nothing compares to this type of fear. The obvious most common example of this type of fear is death. You know, since the beginning of humankind, death has consumed us. We've thought about it. We've written about it. There's songs about it. We're all going there someday, no matter what we want. Yet, we can't fully fathom the passing. Billions have faith in a religion. And that faith can be strong and there can be assurances and feelings of assurances that there's a hereafter and, and I'm going to be somewhere if I follow my church doctrine. But in essence, nobody knows what it will be like to die. 
as we've never been there before. And there's so many circumstances in how death occurs that we can never be certain of the day, the time. Will it be painful? Will it be painless? Will it be sudden? Will it be drawn out? Thus, even for religious people that are very steadfast in their faith, there is this unknown in death and dying. Yet I don't necessarily want to talk about death today. I want to talk about fear of the unknown as we just go through life because it has a strong impact on us. And especially in a crazy year like we're in right now, fear of the unknown is often called an irrational fear for good reason. Recently, I podcasted on three emotions that politicians use to manipulate us. So I don't even want to regurgitate that podcast. And the analysis and that analysis I had about fear, but what I want to give, what I want to give you some very simple, very tactical ways for you to deal with fear of the unknown or irrational fear. It never has to grip you the same way ever again. So where does this fear come from? It's a fascinating question. So let's start by looking at machines, and then we're going to look at our brain. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, have just made insane leaps in the ability to run simulations on pretty much any type of potential scenario. We even have machines that will run potential outcomes of football or basketball games based on personal statistics, whether the game is home or away. I mean, it's it's literally stunning the analytics that are out there just in the sports world, let alone looking at the defense industry or business or especially in our high-tech worlds. Yet really, if we want to get down to it, this artificial intelligence, this machine learning, it fails in comparison to your brain and your prefrontal cortex's ability to run mental simulations. You do them constantly. You actually do them all day at rapid speeds as you evaluate decisions after decision after decision. Most of our decisions that you're simulating before you make a choice, most of them are tiny and they're insignificant. Other times you're making large, important decisions. And sometimes in your life, you run into these huge life-altering choices And your brain takes longer to run these simulations. But the fact is your brain is running simulations all the time. And I want to mentally run a simulation for right now for you as we're sitting here talking. Are you ready? You will process this question and this scenario when I present it. Oh, it'll probably take you about one second or two seconds to play out this entire simulation. So here we go. Which of these two scenarios will make you happier? One, you win the lottery and the jackpot is $200 million. Or two, you have to have your right leg amputated. Which one would you prefer? Obvious, obvious, right? You literally ran in your head a simulation of winning the lottery and what it would be like to have your right leg amputated. I gave you those scenarios and I already know what you chose. I chose I would choose the same thing. It's pretty much a unanimous decision. There's pr- if everybody's being honest, I doubt there's someone out there. No, I I don't want 200 million dollars. I'd rather have my leg cut off. I mean, come on, that's it's a no-brainer. 
and it didn't take you long to process that scenario and what life may look like whether you won 200 million or you had your leg amputated it was a flash but let's take that simulation you just ran mentally and let's project forward a year later you with 200 million dollars or you have one less limb who do you suppose is happier one year later Ironically, I'm going to introduce an individual. His name's Dan Gilbert. He was a Harvard psychologist, and he actually did a study of this very exact equation. And he asked lottery winners right after they won, or he even interviewed amputees after they had had a limb amputated. And he literally asked them on a scale of how happy they are, one to ten. You can imagine. Obviously, very shortly after winning the lottery, the happiness scale was off the charts. And for those who had lost a limb and the shock of such a devastating loss, the happiness was not very high. But one year later, what do you suppose happened? It was not nearly the same. They asked them again on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? And it was amazingly about a 50-50 split. Of who was happier were they happier or less happy ironically those that had a, a leg amputated a year later their happiness rose simultaneously those who had won the lottery for a certain segment of them it collapsed so let's look at this right what would be the challenges so the simulation if I tell you today right now you'd have 200 million dollars you can run scenarios in your brain oh my goodness I'd get all my debt paid off I give money to friends and family. I'd travel all over the world. I would buy this, that, the other. I would get me a new home. I would whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you're most interested in. You can simulate what would happen. But let's talk about what could actually happen and what actually drew data from this study of what these people who had won mega jackpots, the challenges. Imagine having $200 million. Everybody, their grandmother, would be calling out of the woodwork to find you. Everywhere you would go, you'd have to be on guard. You would have to, there would be stress. There would be anxiety. There would, you bring a lot of money into an equation. It's not always pretty. We see story after story of people who win lotteries and lose everything and end up worse than where they were. We've heard stories of lottery winners murdered by family members in the hopes of getting that money. I mean, it's just crazy the things that can happen with that. Let's flip the script and look at, look at somebody who has had a limb amputated. What would make someone happier? Maybe a newfound sense of life. Maybe a ability to achieve things they never thought they would as they relearn how to walk, to overcome obstacles and overcome challenges, overcome prejudices, overcome whatever. And as they do this, they find a new internal strength in themselves that they never even could have imagined they had. And so thus in the end, they have a greater appreciation of life and the things that they can do and they become happier. See, our simulators, they're flawed. Our simulators tend to exaggerate. For some of us, our simulators exaggerate a lot, a whole lot of the time. Human beings, we tend to overhype the potential of good and we overhype the potential for bad. We overshoot. Back to the stock market, those that follow it and those experts that have these 
expectations and the consensus of what is going to happen, the market tends to overshoot the upside and also tends to overshoot the rational downside. As the old saying goes for traders, quote, the stock market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent if you're not careful. And that's no truer statement could be told. See, our brains are incredibly complex in our decision making. And it's a crazy mix of emotion, some rational analysis. And as we analyze and we view two potential outcomes, like Donald Trump becoming president or Joe Biden, our simulations are this mix of our own biases, our life events, our aspirations, our perceptions, our passions, where we get our news, who influences our our behavior, who do we listen to. This gets all mixed up with any rational analysis. Hopefully, people in politics, they're looking at the party platforms, they're reading policy statements and proposals, but I think if most of us are honest, where do we come to understand the technical, the rational policies of our candidates? Fox News, CNN, Facebook feeds, talk radio are probably the depth of understanding each candidate's policy statements. This isn't actually rational analysis, but I'm not going to digress into the, the media again. But the fact is, oftentimes, in most decisions we make, not just in politics, the actual analytical rational process is minimized in our simulations, our mental simulations and our decisions, and emotions are maximized. So how in the world, that just brings us to this question, so how in the world can we deal with our wacky brain so politicians and other natural fears we have, they don't rule the day? Let me introduce you right now to an expert. He actually was a Roman statesman and a philosopher, and his name was Seneca. He's a bit old. Uh, he lived from 4, the 4 BC to roughly around 65 AD, yet his teachings are incredibly relevant today. He lived through some crazy times himself, as many would say we're going through right now. In Rome during his life, it was a time of crazy paranoia, violence, ridiculous corruption, political turmoil. Seneca, he managed to survive as a statesman and at times he even thrived as, through this process throughout terrifying reigns of a couple dictators or, or emperors, Tiberius and Caligula. This isn't a history lesson, but these two emperors were bloodthirsty psychopaths in so many ways. These rulers make either Donald Trump or Joe Biden as president look like little baby lapdogs. Seneca did something. He introduced an exercise, and this is what we're going to focus on for the remainder of this podcast so that we can overcome those irrational fears. And it's called premeditatio malorum. So forgive my Latin on that, but in English it simply means premeditation of evils. Premeditation of evils simply means you take a moment to slow down your emotion, slow down that simulator, and think through everything that could go wrong with a particular plan or a situation or a decision. 
So you arrive at a predetermined outcome. This may sound like a huge down, you know, a huge downer. Oh, geez, you want me to focus on what the worst thing is that can happen? But actually, there's incredible power intellectually and rationally in doing this. See that simulator in your brain that runs rampant and fast. It needs to be slowed way down to actually evaluate a statement and a problem a plan, an idea, without this emotional bias from your brain. Stress is actually reduced when you go through this exercise. Anxiety is reduced and anger is reduced because we're removing, we're neutering that emotion of fear when we go through this. This exercise will literally do this for you. In another podcast, I'm definitely going to talk about stoicism. Because I think it's one of the most powerful philosophies to deal with the insane emotional drama we see in society today. Seneca was a Stoic, but so was Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, George Washington, and you want a really current one? Bill Belichick, coach of the New England Patriots, is a practitioner of Stoicism. If that's not crazy for you, uh, there you go. This is real and it works very well and real works very well in the real world. Sorry, I can't talk there, but uh, so to avoid fear of the unknown, which leads us down a path to stress and anxiety, you need to short circuit that world-ending narratives we're dealing with in this political season. You need to train yourself to separate what you can control from what you can't control. One almost guarantee in life, almost always, is that we suffer more often in our imagination than we do in reality. Yes, surely sometimes we're smacked upside the head with a life-altering, unseen accident or occurrence that completely blindsides us, alters our life as we know it. But in general, let's be honest, this isn't life for most people most of the time. So we need to learn to effectively deal with the emotions, events, effectively, efficiently, and calmly through intellectual exercise of our rational mind. I grew up in Iowa. There are a lot of cornfields, bean fields, and there are cattle. And when you see a cow grazing in a field, whether it's sunny or rainy, hot or cold, they pretty much, hate to say it, they look about the same. They deal with the weather and the environment as it comes. As a practitioner of Stoicism, they have a similar ability to weather the changes and the storms of life in a very similar fashion. Remove the intense emotion, remove the drama, and focus on the reality of the situation as it presents itself. Our brain and our simulator, they're defective in being efficient analytical machines, so we have to control that machine. And here's, a, here's this exercise that will make it happen. Again, this comes from Seneca and the premeditation of evils concept. You can find all kinds of books, courses, blogs out there on stoicism and that idea of the premeditation of evils. This is not some hidden secret knowledge and I surely didn't invent it, but I definitely pay attention to it in my life as I try and evaluate things without the emotion, the drama. So... The first step in the process is you need to do this. And it might be a good idea to even jot them down. The first step in the process, define the worst thing that could happen as you go into a decision. And let's stay with this political theme. 
And let's say a Donald Trump, when he says this, and he says it quite frequently, quote, Joe Biden will repeal the Second Amendment and right to bear arms. And we'll use concurrently at the same time another example of Joe Biden says Donald Trump will cause hundreds of thousands of more deaths if he is reelected from coronavirus. So here are the hyperbole-laden worst-case scenarios. The politicians laid them out for us when we try to predict and articulate the worst case thing that could happen. We can then move from our inaction to action. These are bold, ostentatious, Nostradamus, Aztec end of the or my end of the Mayan calendar kind of predictions. Right? These are way out there, but we're going to break them down. By the way, this works great when you're considering business ideas, big life decisions, vacation plans. You know, see see if we intellectually we started the worst thing that could happen in a decision. Then we can make a more analytical decision. So first step, define the worst case scenario. Here's two drama worst case scenarios. So step number two, if you're going to write these down, maybe you put them on a separate piece of paper. What can I I do or what can you do in the sphere that's in your control to mitigate the worst case scenario so if I'm gonna if Donald Trump's gonna tell me that Joe Biden is going to eliminate the Second Amendment what can I do in my world to to try and mitigate I can't solve it because I'm not the president. But what can I do? Well, if I'm worried about protection of my home, I might ensure that I have a home security system in place. Also, I might try and purchase a firearm before an actual vote because generally speaking, people are grandfathered in in some way, shape, or form when these type of things come about. Or I could also donate to causes prior to passage to try and influence the politicians in D.C. You can even call your politicians. You can donate to different causes. There's things you can do. And you might say, well, that isn't much. So what? That isn't going to help anything. Agreed to the stoic. You don't get to control so much in life but what's the opposite choice that i would have to do the opposite of me doing something is well doing nothing and sitting back and complaining stressing and raging at a tv screen i mean i suppose i could do that too which one's better the stoic will say i'm gonna try and control whatever i can control in an imperfect environment in the case of joe biden claiming trump's gonna kill hundreds of thousands more as he is an incompetent leader and coronavirus is going to take us all out. Well, in my life, I suppose if I believe that's a worst case scenario, I can follow the basic protocols. I can do my best to maintain social distancing. Yes, yes, I get it. The science isn't perfect, you may say. We don't even know if the mask works very much, but I, I bring back to you, what is ever perfect in life? All I can do is be rational and be sane. And if I do this, what else can I do? Again, I'm just performing things that I can control within my own sphere. Why is this so important mentally? Because it seems so inadequate. It's because you are performing actions 
versus letting your brain just run amok and run wild. There are doers in life and there are complainers and there are thinkers. To the Stoic, it isn't worth your time to stress over what you cannot control, but rather you need to put all your focus, your energy, and effort into managing and mitigating the potential downside of something happening to you. There is incredible peace in action that you cannot get when you just sit there worrying, stressing, and complaining. Remember that cow in the rain eating, as I talked about earlier? Well, that cow, when it starts raining, he might be hungry, but he could just lay down under a tree and just complain to himself that, man, this is terrible. This stupid rain is happening to me, and there's nothing I can do. Well, yeah, there's something he can do. He can get right back up and eat if he's hungry. All you can, all he can do is just what he has to do to live. Same concept for human beings. Here's the biggest step and the most important. So the first thing we define the worst case scenario. Number two, within that worst case scenario, what are the little things that each of us can do every single day? And then the third step is this. Rationally and intellectually without emotion what is the probability of that fear coming to reality? And then what is the cost of inaction? So staying with politics. From the blustery statements that Biden will get rid of the Second Amendment, well, it isn't quite so easy if we, if we research what it would actually take to eliminate the Second Amendment. So, Changing the actual words of the Constitution, it takes an amendment to the Constitution, as does just deleting it or repealing it or adding an amendment, including those first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, which were ratified all the way back in 1789. The Senate historian, the person who manages all the historical documents of the Senate, estimates that approximately 11,699 amendment changes have been proposed in Congress. And this only goes through 2016. But only one amendment, the 18th Amendment that established prohibition, was later repealed by the states. In simple odds, the chance of any constitutional amendment being repealed would be roughly the same as a person living to 80 years old being struck by lightning during their lifetime or in essence basically impossible so the constants article 5 it requires that an amendment be proposed by two-thirds of the house and the senate both or by a constitutional convention called for by two-thirds of the state's legislators. It is up to the states to approve a new amendment with three-quarters of the states voting to ratify in this means. So think about politics today. It's basically a 50-50 split. Every election, you know, we might get one that's 54 to 46, but usually it's 51-49, 52 48% to change our Constitution and Joe Biden to eliminate the Second Amendment would require such a Herculean sweep of the House 
and the Senate that is not being predicted by anyone. The The probability of, of Biden winning and taking the House and taking the Senate with a majority that it would require to change the Constitution and get rid of the Second Amendment would be probably less than a fraction of 1%. So this narrative of repealing the Second Amendment when it's broken down this way, it's really not so scary anymore. But see how this topic and the propaganda try to paint this as a real probability that that this literally might happen immediately when in essence, according to the entire history of our country, now 400 plus years long, it really isn't anything to be concerned about at all. That's not to say that cataclysmic events can't happen, but as they can, but as a stoic, as you're breaking down rationally an argument, if you had to go to Las Vegas and bet today, will the Second Amendment be repealed? You can almost put all your money down on that one that it's probably not going to happen. Let's look at Joe Biden now. His claim, and he says it frequently, that Trump is cannot be trusted to manage coronavirus. He has completely failed the country when it comes to coronavirus. Well, let's have a look at the data. We now have historical information that can help us evaluate because now we've had coronavirus for months now. And it appears the survival rate is over 99.5% of those people that come down with COVID-19. The plan, when you look at his policy statements that Biden is taking, almost are a mirror image of Donald Trump and what he's done. He wants more testing. He wants better testing. He wants PPE. He wants vaccinations. Maybe there's one difference, you could say. And that's the mask mandate. Well, whether you fully believe masks work brilliantly, couldn't you wear a mask and social distance whether Donald Trump were president or not? Could you mitigate that fear as best you can? And it appears masks seem to work somewhat, but I doubt they are the panacea of success that Joe Biden is trying to push. As if it were actually, from what we've seen in the last six months, so easy that if everyone would just wear a mask, the world would have already solidified around this in stone and coronavirus would be nothing more than a bad dream. And the second thing, many of the most stringent mass states, which Biden wants everyone to follow, are still the states suffering the most from coronavirus and still in early phase reopening states like California and New York, whereas other very large states, Texas, the second largest state, Florida, the number three three largest state. We did pass New York, by the way, so we are the third largest state right now. We're way past those opening, and we haven't had near the stringent mask requirement. So again, I'm not telling you what to believe as far as masks go, but this hyperbolic statement that Trump is causing hundreds of thousands to die and more will die because if they don't elect Biden, well, Biden's plan looks almost identical to Trump's plan and the only difference appears to be masks, but wearing masks is not 
appear to be this golden ticket to coronavirus free world. If it was, we'd already be doing it. Then you get down to the point that is a mask mandate even legal constitutionally? I mean, that probably is going to be struck down immediately like so many of Trump's executive orders of trying to do a mandate. Even states are having trouble. Governors in certain states having their mask mandate held up. Michigan recently had some striking down of some of their very stringent policies. So in reality, it does not appear that Joe Biden has some massive plan that is so grand and great that's really any different than Donald Trump except the mask. And when we break down the mask without emotion, the mask thing is is crazy because instantaneously you mentioned mask and people's ears are alert that it's fully political, but it doesn't have to be. You can evaluate what it is, how it works, what they say, separate from the other things. So in the end, breaking through all of this, is it probable or likely Joe Biden would repeal the Second Amendment? No, it is probably not. Is it probable that Donald Trump will make COVID-19 the next bubonic plague? No, it probably is not. The politicians and cable TV hosts, a mix of soap opera, drama, kings and queens, and Orson Welles doomsday predictors, what a fascinating mix that crew is. They're almost never real, nor accurate. Almost never is the hyperbole and emotion fed to us in our brains, and we simulate, are they actually really true valid fears? It would be nice if our brains worked differently, but they don't. So we need to check our brain and control it. Let's start thinking like a stoic. Let's empower ourselves to deal with reality by focusing on our own actions and not letting our emotional simulators run wild with this fear of the unknown. Let's rein them in with rational perspective. We need to learn to, one, clearly identify a worst-case scenario when it is presented to us so we can analyze it and not just accept it as fact. Number two, we need to determine what we can control within a worst case scenario. We do what we can with the hand that we're dealt. National politics, it's very hard to be able to control our own destiny and influence an outcome by using that premeditation of evils idea but we can still do it but when we get to those personal decisions it works a lot more fluidly in step number two we do what we can and then number three we rationally evaluate the probability of something happening you have to be able to separate out your emotions and just read data to look at facts to look at analysis for example with with Trump and the Second Amendment, I can find that information that says it's almost impossible to change a constitutional amendment because it requires such a overwhelming majority. Thank goodness the Founding Fathers had foresight to understand that if we're going to change a constitutional amendment, it needs to be overwhelming support. And then... Finally, the last step of that third process 
what's the cost of inaction? Now that cost of inaction, it especially plays when you're making personal decisions. Sometimes we underestimate, we worry about an action that we do, switching a job or starting a business, and we're worried about doing it and what might go wrong. But what's the cost of not doing something? So that's also part of that third step in in many scenarios. So be rational, be clear, cut out the emotion, and you can see that issue in a completely separate light. That ability to cut out the anxiety, the fear, the paralysis of the unknown by these really simple steps, if you think about it, is one way to end the doomsday fear politicians throw at us. But it's also a way for you personally to go through these three steps to analyze important decisions you make in life. Should I start a business? Should I change my job? Should I move to another city? Should I get involved in this relationship? Should I invest money in this thing? It's There's no end to how using those simple steps can be applied to all kinds of circumstances in life. What's the worst thing? What can I do to mitigate the worst? And what is the probability of success? Or what happens if I do nothing? This is simple. It's very powerful for all of us. And it At the end of the day, it allows you to be in control of your mind, not somebody else spouting out hyperbole and doomsday predictions. Use it as you evaluate politics, career moves, business decisions, personal life choices. Should I move to a new city? Whatever. It it works in all kinds of situations. And when I stumbled upon this and I begin to apply it, people ask me a lot of times, how can you look at politics the way that you do? And a lot of it comes down to this. I can I have the ability to watch stuff on TV or read Facebook posts and I can I can step myself backwards from the emotion and it starts to become natural after you practice those steps over and over again. So I hope it's something that that might work out for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value in this topic. I hope you can give this simple stoic technique on the premeditation of evils in a practical way in your life. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.